Well, good morning again. So uh, years ago, psychologists developed something called word association games. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Uh, these word associations, um, they could help uh, identify thought patterns that we have um, simply by asking someone, what comes to mind when you hear this word? What pops into your head? For example, they would say things like, when I say the word dark or blue or heart, what comes into your mind? What pops into your head? Now, let me ask you sitting at home. Let's do a little bit of that now. When I say the word Samson, what comes to mind? <laughs> Sky's going like this. When I say the word Samson, what comes into your mind? Samson. Now, I would guess many people are totally unfamiliar um, with, say, the, the book of Judges, but I would guess a lot of people are familiar with Samson, especially the famous Samson and Delilah story, right? Over the next few weeks, two weeks actually, this week and next, we're going to be covering the life of Samson. It's a, it's a fascinating story about this guy. And, and so what I want to do is actually to whet your appetite. I actually, I want to read a quote from an Aussie. This guy taught at Moore College down in Sydney. And it's quite a long quote, but I think he's going to set us up quite nicely as he thinks about sort of the, the warp and woof, the, the big picture of Samson's life. So track along with me here. I'm going to read this. He says, Samson is a perplexing figure, and so is the account of his birth and turbulent career in the following chapters. It contains riddles, and in a sense, that is what the story is, a riddle, an enigma, like Samson himself. Perhaps that is why it has always been so popular. The account of Samson simultaneously attracts and repels us, pulls us this way and that, with its strong currents of physical and emotional energy, and presents us at last with a broken man whom we cannot help but feel for, even though it is clear that he has been his own worst enemy. Samson is no cardboard cutout or plastic hero. He is too hot-blooded and raw for that. Whatever else he is, he is a real human being. His humanity calls to our own in a way that makes us identify with him, even if we cannot understand or like him. In a sense, he is us. That is what is so disturbing about him. But of course, he is also much more than that. Well said. How about we take an honest and sober look at a man that we can identify with on some areas and a man that we should avoid some of his characteristics as well as we look at this disturbing deliverer, really. But before we do, let's pray. <sighs> Lord, as we now look to you and your word, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, Lord, that you would put away distractions. I pray that even just this live stream now, there wouldn't be any hiccups. It would flow smoothly, Lord. But most of all, we pray that you would mold and shape our hearts 
and our minds according to your word. In Christ's name, amen. So as we've continued working our way through the book of Judges, you might have noticed something. Uh, The people just get worse and worse, right? Like a toilet flush down the loo, they're just like this downward spiral into the swamp, into the sewer, right? Now, not only do the people get bad, but you might have noticed that the judges seem to be getting worse as well. Do you remember who we started off with? You know, the knight in shining armor, remember him? Othniel, right? And then last week, we're left off with the bloke that like burns his own daughter. I mean, we've gone way downhill. Now we're at Samson. Do you remember too, let's go back to the first judge. Remember Othniel? Do you remember he had the virtuous wife, Oxa, who was a part of the Israel? I mean, she wasn't just an Israelite. She was like, you know, she was, uh, you know, the poster child of, she was Caleb's daughter. And, and that's that judge's partner, wife, right? And now we're left with a guy that has multiple partners, none of whom are Israelites. So, I mean, the whole thing, not only has the nation of Israel spiraled down, but their leaders have as well. Um, this week, when I read chapter 13, verse 1 to my kids, you know what they said? not again, and that doesn't mean don't read us that again. They were commenting on an all-too-familiar expression that I think has become probably monotonous at this point. Here it is. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. How many times have we read that, right? I mean, this, we've read this a dozen times, and, and we know the pattern. Israel, go, Israel, the nation of Israel goes off the rails. They cry out to God. He sends a deliverer. But I want you to look carefully there at that first verse. There's something different this time around. Something's missing. Can you see it? They don't cry out to God for liberation. Think about it. 40 years of Philistine oppression. 40. That's going from now back to 1980. (laughs) Some of you weren't even alive back then. I think Andrew was like in his 50s back then or whatever he was, but four decades of domination without a whimper. And they seem content in their bondage. It's like they don't even want a deliverer, right? They don't even bother crying out. Or maybe, maybe it's because things are so bleak. For so long, they've lost all hope. They're either so far gone and backsliding or so depressed by their circumstances, they no longer turn to God. Whatever the case, even though they didn't cry out for the Lord, the Lord still sends them a deliverer anyway. Now catch this. At this point in the book of Judges, God is no longer waiting on them to seek Him. Because if He does, it's never going to happen. So if they're going to be saved, it's not because they seek him, it's because he seeks them. And that truth spans across all of salvation history, by the way. Now notice in verse 2, we read this. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren. And have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. So it's a bleak time for Israel. You have to understand that 
They're like a candle flickering in the wind that's about to go out. They have integrated so much with the nations around them that they're no longer distinct. Things are looking not so good. And out of the blue, here's this random family up in the hill country, up in the hills, faithful, faithful couple, and she's out hanging the laundry. And out of nowhere, bam, God actually appears to her. And she's told two things. One, you're going to fall pregnant. Two, the son of yours will begin, will begin, note, note that, will begin to save Israel from, their, from the Philistines. Now, as for her role in all of this, she needs to ensure that he becomes a Nazarite. Not a Nazarene, a Nazarite, which according to number six, um, there's a couple things that a Nazarite couldn't do. It was a special, so someone that was especially de devoted to the Lord, right? They um, couldn't eat or drink certain things. They couldn't go near a dead body. And they um, couldn't get a haircut, kind of like me during the pandemic, okay? So... This was the Nazarite vow. Now, anyway, she runs and tells her husband about all this and how awesome this messenger was. But Manoah's bummed out because he missed the action. Plus, he wants to know how on earth to raise this kid. So he prays for the messenger to come back. And he does return, except Manoah's got no idea who this messenger is, the identity of this messenger. I mean, after he offers to make him lunch, he asks for his name, thinking he's a prophet or something. But check this out. He asks for his name, but he's given a description instead. Come with me to verse 17. Notice in verse 17. Chapter 13, verse 17. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? His name is so wonderful, it's beyond human comprehension. Uh, this word wonderful is used several times throughout the Bible. It's, it's always connected to God. He is the wonder-working God of the Exodus, the one who spoke to Moses out of the fiery bush. You see, what's happening here is what's called a theophany. This is where God appears to someone. And, and as Manoah is actually speaking, not just to any messenger, but to God himself, what is he concerned about? Oh, what's the, can you see it? What, what are we supposed to do? Well, I want to know the details. How do I raise this kid? You know, what, what's going on? I know, sure, yeah, he does, you know, can't get a haircut. And, but what are the other details about this guy's life? I mean, I need to know. Come on. He's got to know the play-by-play -play details. He wants to know what to do, how to do it. But God says, this is all you need to know. I'm wonderful. I am. Listen, if you require detailed explanations before you can trust God, it's not going to work. Lord, how do I know things are going to be okay? God, why did you allow this thing to happen? Lord, what if things don't turn out the way I'm hoping for? I often find myself asking God for explanation so I can believe that he is good. But the Lord says to Manoah, you don't get explanation, you get revelation. And that's all you need. My name is wonderful. Do you understand? The Lord is about to do the miraculous here. 
He's going to cause this barren woman to have a baby, to bring life out of the darkness of her womb. The power of life and death is in his hands. So no situation, no situation is hopeless. Not for Israel, not for us. Our God is wonderful. All right, back to the story. Manoah prepares a burnt offering to the Lord. He said, you know, we have lunch with us. No, no, you just give that offering to the Lord, right? And while this happens, this mysterious messenger steps into the flame and shoots into the sky right before their eyes. Then the penny drops for them. They realize who they were talking to. And they do the only thing that mere mortals can do. They fall face down on the ground. And Manoah thinks, we're done. We're dead. And his wife goes, look, honey, if God wanted to kill us, he would have done so. Not to mention he's given us all these promises. And so the final day comes where she delivers this promised baby in verse 24. Can you see it there? Verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And notice, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So just as predicted, the baby is born, and from an early age onwards, the Spirit is provoking, stirring him. Now, think about this. With so much, did any other judge get this kind of a backstory, by the way? <laughs> Not even close. I mean, if you really think about this, right? With so much leading up to this, so everything surrounding the birth narrative, um, I mean, the fact that, by the way, um, Samson, he's the last judge. We're not, we're not going to finish the book of Judges because there's more chaos that happens, but this guy's the last judge. Last judge that we're going to look at. So, with so much leading up to this point, right? Y we have great expectations for this guy. But in the next chapter, we see him heading about seven kilometers south from his hometown. He crosses the border into enemy territory. He's walking in a Philistine suburb. What's he doing there? Well, maybe, I mean, he is a, he is a deliverer. He is a judge. Remember, these guys are military generals. Maybe he's gathering intelligence on enemy territory, you know? I'm spying it out. Or perhaps he, maybe he's there to, he's getting ready to, kind of like Ehud did. Follow me, right? Pulls his sword out. and Maybe that's what he's doing. Now, he's there to check out the pretty ladies. <laughs> he's womanizing. No joke. He, he's cruising up and down the streets of Timna, you know, probably smiling, winking at the pretty girls that passed him by, throwing his hair back as he walks. And eventually he spots one and he goes, now that's the woman I want. And his parents are shocked by this, as they should be. Because we just read about his whole birth story, right? Look at this, chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw, notice there his eyes, he, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, look at the way he treats his parents. I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, 
Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? So how confusing this must have been for his parents. Uh, they, they had such high hopes for their son, and rightly so. And then they try to persuade him out of this. But what Samson, he's blinded by his own passion and lust. Look at verse 3, the end of it there. He says, get her for me. She is what? Right in my eyes. It's crazy when you compare that phrase with the very last verse in the book of Judges. Do you know the very last book, or sorry, the very last verse in the book of Judges says? This is the last, like when you think of the whole book and you just go, far out. That was just, that was the most insane book I've ever read in the Bible. And here's a little edit comment. Ready? In those days, last verse, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Samson reflects Israel, doesn't he, as a whole. This is a people dominated by a sensual instinct. They are marked by a disregard for authority, for parental authority in their life. Boy, I wish we could find a society like that today. I, I can't find a society that could, doesn't listen to mom and dad and is marked by their own lusts and sexual appetites. Oh, that's right. That is our society, is it not? <laughs> that is our society. And everyone does what, what's right in their own eyes. Let me quote another helpful passage from Barry Webb. He says this, In seeing a woman and demanding to have her, he blurs the distinction between love and lust. In wanting to marry a Philistine woman, he breaks the ethnic and religious taboos that support the current social order, and in demanding that his father and mother get her for him, he overturns normal family relationships. Even though Samson is blinded by his own ambition, you have to understand this, in verse 4, if you can see it there, behind the scenes, the Lord is using this situation, actually. The Lord is using this to provoke the Philistines. I mean, if you have your Bible, it's look right in front of you there. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, chapter 14. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Now, the truth is, Left to themselves, Israel would have been happy to carry on with the status quo. Remember, it's already been 40 years. They're happy just to be ruled by the Philistines. And let's be honest, Samson's not, his mind's not on delivering the Israel. His mind's on the pretty Philistine women. <laughs> he wants to party with them. He doesn't want to, like, drive them out. But the invisible hand of God is operating behind the scenes here. He uses Samson in spite of his wrong motives. Anyway, once his parents cave in, they say, okay, fine, you can marry her. Well, Samson's got a skip in his step now, right? So he's heading off to Timnah. He's so happy. But that happiness gets slightly interrupted when he gets 
attacked by a lion. <laughs> if, if you're not listening now, I, I don't. I don't say I don't. I don't know. Yeah, this this part this part's gonna blow your mind. Ready? Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Apparently, that you know that's what you did back then. <laughs> anyway. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Now, a couple observations here. Um, it's clear that he's got too much independence for mom and dad. For one, just the, how entitled he, he is. But he goes down with his parents, but then they weren't around to see this attack. So clearly he probably leaves mom and dad in the dust. They're too old. They're too slow. He's got a party to get to. And as he gets there, this, uh, uh, as he's getting closer to Timnah, this lion rushes at him. And it doesn't say that he, you know, grabbed a weapon. There's been some pretty obscure weapons in Judges, like tent pegs and, you know, ox goads and, you know, little daggers. No, no, no. He rips this thing with, like, a piece of paper with his bare hands. This is the Incredible Hulk, right? This is just, what's going on here? Now, it's interesting. Again, I, I got to quote Barry Webb because what he does here is fascinating. He compares this roaring, raging lion to Samson's temperament. Does that make sense? In other, in other words, listen to this, the way he, he contrasts this raging lion with Samson. He writes this. In some ways, it is like Samson himself, a beast that breaks boundaries untamable and unstoppable, driven by animal instincts and intent on having what its eyes see. So that's Samson. He is like a raging lion. Now beyond proving, you know, his superhuman strength here, uh, this event will actually show his disregard for his Nazarite vow. Remember that Nazarite vow that, you know, the angel told his mom? As he passes by this dead corpse, he sees a beehive in it. Now, again, there's a lot of questions here. How, you know, don't know, if <laughs> don't know if that's a regular situation where it's just like, oh, cool, look, there's a beehive and a dead lion. But anyway, he sees it. Here's the point. He doesn't care. He's not supposed to remember, remember his Nazarite vow? He's not supposed to go anywhere near a dead body or a corpse or a dead lion. Look here at verse 8. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold... There was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. It's interesting. Did you notice there? Not only does he disregard his Nazarite vow, he disregards the respect of his parents. They're not supposed to be eating that as well. The only thing that matters to him is the satisfaction of his own appetites and his own cravings. Now, remember here, how was he able to shred this lion with his bare hands? The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, right? It's not like he's a Marvel superhero, right? Like, he, he actually needs God's help. The spirit rushes upon him. Why did God do that? 
Is it just so that, you know, little boys would be like, whoa, cool, in Sunday school one day? No. All of this is going to have a ripple effect. You see, though he is still a, a, a man full of testosterone and an and a, a, a arrogant guy who disregards his parents, this whole scene from the lion is still kind of sitting on his mind. Because when he goes to his wedding, he wants to stir the pot, so to speak. And so he throws out a riddle to everybody. And it's about a lion and about his experience with the dead carcass and the honey in it. Look here what I'm saying in verse 10. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. Interesting, too, at these feasts you would have, especially seven-day feasts with Philistines, notice they're near a vineyard. You have probably raging alcohol going on, right? And so, again, that's supposed to drink. That's supposed to go near a dead body. And eventually you'll see him actually cutting his hair next week. Breaks every one of his Nazarite vows, right? But God's still using him, which is amazing, to still begin to save Israel. So his father went down to the woman. Now notice here, verse 11. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now, we're not sure why. If, if that was just like an ancient Near East tradition, or are they kind of like going, mm, this guy's a bit of a threat. Let's not just give him a couple groomsmen. Let's give him like 30, right? And maybe these guys, maybe these 30 blokes were some of their top military guys. Don't know. But they're there with him. And Samson, you know, he throws out this riddle, and it's not just like he's, it's not lighthearted. He's, he's mocking them in a way. I mean, given the money involved, he gets 30 times the return, right? It, it's, it's more of a deliberate provocation. L look here at what he says in verse 12. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, all right, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, remember his experience with the lion? Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. Now, again, three days, they're not just going, oh, this is, we don't really want to play this game anymore. They realize that this invitation to the wedding is actually going to cost them a lot. It, it's, in some ways, it's been a trap almost, the fact that they're there. And so what do they do? They go to his wife, who obviously was weeping for those seven days. So, why not take advantage of the emotional, vulnerable lady in the situation and we'll get her to try to just keep nudging him. And so, what does she do? Oh, and by the way, here's the incentive. If you don't do that, we'll burn you and your father alive. Right? Now notice, she pulls the oldest trick in the book. If you really love me, you wouldn't shut me out. True love doesn't have secrets, Samson. Notice, on the fourth day, verse 15, on the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. 
Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to... Now notice her words here. Notice where her um, allegiance lies. You've put a riddle to whose people? My people. Interesting. And you have told me, and not told me what it is. Look at his response to her. I don't think he, I don't think he actually cares much about her. I think, he's, I think he's in lust with her, so to speak, right? He doesn't actually love her. Because he said to her, Behold, I have not told my mom and dad. Why should I tell you, lady? <laughs> right? And then what does she do? She weeps. Notice how, this is interesting. I want you to notice this here. You know, If Samson would have kept his mouth shut, right, he could have won this bet. But who breaks him down? The pretty lady here. She's nagging him, gnawing at him. This scenario is going to play out next week, and it's going to cost him his life. A woman nagging at him, gnawing at him to where he just says, fine, here's my secret. So let's keep reading here. Verse 17, she wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. Now, that's not a fun wedding, right? And on the seventh day, just as the sun goes down, just about to end, right? At the eleventh hour, so to speak, he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you have not plowed with my heifer, you would have not found out my riddle. <laughs> what a guy. Right? I mean, honestly. In other words, if you've not messed with my wife, who's a young calf, a cow, if you have not and plowed with her, if you've not enticed her, could mean there can some um, undertones there of some sexual things as well. If you've not plowed with my heifer, then you could have never solved my riddle. You cheated. Notice the next verse. The spirit at that moment empowers him. Remember, the invisible hand of God is behind all of this. Even though Samson's a total ragbag, you, you see the hand of providence. The spirit empowers him. But what's interesting is he, the spirit doesn't, and the, I said the same thing about this last week with Othniel. Just because someone is empowered by the spirit doesn't override their personality or even their sin particularly in the book of Judges. Because what's he motivated, motivated by? He's ticked. He's burning hot with anger. Oh yeah? Deal then. Here's the, okay, fine, I lost the riddle. He goes about 60 kilometers west of there, which, <laughs> man, that's a, that's a long run. I don't know. Goes to, another, look what he does here. He goes to this other Philistine area, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town, took their spoil, and gave the garments to those who told him the riddle. So you see how he's, the, see how he's the provocation there, right? And then noticed, again, in hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Did he go back to his father's house with his wife, his young new bride? No, he's too busy sulking, like a, like a, like a boy who can't handle it, right? He just... He wanted all the attention on himself. That's why he even threw out the riddle. And it's interesting here because while he's soaking his, sulking at his house, what does his father-in-law do? Oh, here, you can... 
I'll just give your new wife away to the best man at the wedding. I mean, honestly, his father-in-law sees an opportunity to marry his daughter to one of his own people. So no doubt a better social move on his part, right? And that's how the chapter ends. And next week, we'll pick up with this family again. And we'll see Samson's triumphs and his downfall as well. But for the moment, what are we to make all this? Well, remember, Samson sees a woman, says, get her for me. Several times it says he does it what's right in his own eyes. Even when he sees the carcass and the honey in it, he sees, he looks, he takes, he has no governor over his sinful impulses. You know, our society today, um, they say things like this, only you can define what's right and wrong, right? Only my heart's feelings and my mind's perspective are the only way to determine what's true and what's ethical, what's right, what's biblical. We see this in our society today. You take someone, there's even songs written about this, right? That you, you, you take something that is unbiblical and then you say, I was born this way and there's even songs written about that and therefore, the best and most flourishing way that I can live is experiencing the way that I was born. Make sense? And there's no one that can tell me that that is not true and not right. Because again, it's right in my own eyes. Only you can determine what's right and wrong. Only your heart's feelings and your mind's perspective are the only way to determine what's true and what's right. Well, if that were true, how do we know what's right and wrong, first of all? If you study history at all, there's been some awful, awful genocides. And the people that did them thought they were, well, doing humanity a favor. So that was right in their eyes. But how about other people? You see, there, is, there, is there an ultimate truth? Is there an ultimate overarching ethic of says what's right and wrong? How do we know what's right and wrong? Well, you see, the word of God dictates that for us, explains these things to us. Uh, we, we can't determine and make choices based on if it feels good. You know, how do you, how do you know that you should continue dating that person? Well, they're not, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're not a Christian, but it feels right. Well, where's it going? Remember, Samson, he's, he's unequally yoked here, Right? trying to be, at least. He's, he's not obeying God and his law. And in the same way, he probably, if you, you, I, you, you and I could have sat with him and said, Samson, this is clearly against what the, the word of God says. And he goes, it's right in my eyes. Bugger off. You see, there, there could be all kinds of sin in your life right now, and maybe it feels good. Right? And you've convinced yourself, this is actually a good thing. And besides, I'm not hurting anybody. Look, 
leading what's right in your own eye, doing what's right in your own eyes, it might seem right, but at the end of it will lead to death. The Lord is not silent. The Lord has spoken. He has given us his clear and sure and final word. And so where are we taking our cues? Where are we, where's our worldview being, how's our worldview being shaped? I'm always shocked, if I can just be honest here for a second, I'm always shocked when Christians try to bring in something that's completely unbiblical and marry it into Christian living, marry it into Christian ministry. It's shocking. Because we know why they're doing that. It's because it's right in their own eyes. Look, we need the word of God. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Judges the thoughts and the attitudes, right? Pierces. And we need each other, friends. You know, one of Samson's problems, he's a one-man army. He's a solo guy, isn't he? Where's his friends? Where's his community? Well, he probably told them, you know, get lost. But you see what happens. He, he's, he's off, he, he's a one-man wrecking crew, and he's gonna, it's, it's going to backfire on him in the end. We'll see that next week. I mean, he's a deliverer, but he's not the best of the deliverers. You know what's interesting about Samson, too? And I'll close with this. Is that, I won't give it away all for next week, but all he did was begin to deliver Israel, it says. If you go back to chapter 13, and even at the end of it next week, we'll see, he began to deliver Israel. So, so in other words, this, there were many more battles to fight after Samson dies. The, the guy who finally puts the death nail on him is David. But ultimately, David's greater son delivers us. There's no more, more Philistines aren't a threat here in Australia. Watch out, the Philistines are coming. Right? But what's our greatest threat? Our greatest threat is that we face God Almighty in our sin. So we need to be forgiven, saved, delivered. That's why David's greater son, the Lord Jesus, who was empowered by the Spirit, lived a life of perfect obedience, was dedicated, had a special birth narrative, quite similar, right? But lived a life of obedience to the Father. Didn't live for himself. And because he lived a perfect obedient life. If you trust in the Lord Jesus, you too can be forgiven. And not only that, his life of obedience given to you. So when the father looks at you, he's not looking at someone who's lived, well, let's be honest, bits and pieces like Samson. But he sees his son, the greatest deliverer, the Lord Jesus. Do you know him? Have you turned to him? Are you embracing him now for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life? He is our greatest deliverer. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we look at this very perplexing life of Samson. Um, it's easy to cast stones. It's easy to think that we're better. Lord, we, we too need your grace. Help us to learn from this man but not to 
think that we're better or try to put ourselves in any place that's not deserved, but Lord, ultimately look to you, our greatest deliverer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I encourage you to sing a song that we've been singing for quite a while, and it's, it's quite relevant to the book of D- Judges. Dan and I were talking about that, so um, you're probably familiar with it at this point, but if not, let's, let's be reflecting upon the lyrics um, together as we're separated for now. God bless you.